uh, let's, let's talk to God together. Heavenly Father, uh, I pray that... I pray that you'd uh, be with us this morning. Help me to help me to share your word with with passion and with with energy that that defies me, Lord. That's more than than what I can manage on my own. I pray that you would uh, be with the folks who are here and help them to hear from you and help them to to know you just through hearing your word preached. Um, I pray that your Spirit would do all the work um, and that uh, we would just be in your presence. Um, and hear from you today in Jesus' name, Amen. So I um, I ended up at a strange crossroads this week. Um, I really want to preach the book or the Peter's two letters, uh, and I I had at least one more sermon in the previous series that I wanted to do, and so I've been back and forth all week, and I've researched doing one more love sermon, and I researched the whole first chapter of Peter, and. I, I started dividing it up and trying to make a decision, and I'm, I'm kind of compromising, um, and we're going to do a little bit of both, and we're going to try and do it not in 45 minutes. Um, and so let's, let's all pray for miracles. Uh, <laughs> thanks for the vote of confidence. Um, just a, a, a little bit of background as we dive into this. Um, We've been talking about, we started out with 1 Corinthians 13, which is that that famous love passage, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not um, boast. And and we've talked about this being this part of this divine calling on us as believers. Um, The second week in this series, we we looked at all of these, um, all of the ways that Christ kind of, you know, plugged in love as a part of his commands for how we're to live. You know, if you're going to follow the Ten Commandments, you follow them by loving God and loving your neighbor. If you're going to um, deal with people around you, you deal with them in love, um, even if they're awful. Um, and so as we dive into to this, this is kind of the tail end of that. Last week we talked about anger, uh, which was a fun sermon, um, love and anger and how we balance the two. Um, this week we're going to start in on First Peter uh, 1 and 2. They're going to be connected, and, and so we're not going to get to First Peter right away, um, but we will get there. So we gotta we got to be patient. Um, the, the big thing, again, like over and over again, like the foundation of Christ's ethical teachings, the foundation of Christ's direction as to how we're supposed to live um, is, is rooted in love. It is rooted in this idea that we are to love unreasonably. Now, that sounds hard because love is... Um, diluted in our culture right like we have grown to understand love as being this feeling that we have you know this um the the that they used to sing songs about or well that they sing songs about they used to sing good songs about um you know this this feeling of twitter patient or affection or whatever and and at the bottom line of it the new testament ethic of love the new testament understanding of love has a lot more to do with action than feeling got it like, it is about how you live. It is about the way you approach the folks around you. It is about the way you treat them, the way you emanate um, and behave. Like, you can, you can, um, you can act lovingly towards somebody um, without necessarily liking them. You all with me? Um, like, the feelings are not the bottom line of it. The bottom line of it is how you behave. So Peter's letter, before we, you know, Peter's letter, Peter was in Rome probably when he wrote this. It's... Um, He's sort of commanding the church universal from the city of Rome. He did extensive ministry there toward the end of his life and was eventually crucified there. 
under uh, Nero <clears throat> in probably 55, maybe 54 AD. Um, but this letter was before that, and, and it's to the entire church, mostly in Asia. And there's some neat stuff sort of built into the letter, and we'll get to that as we go. Um, but before we jump into Peter, we're going to do some Matthew. Um, this is from the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is talking about love. Like if you go through the Sermon on the Mount, there's an awful lot of um, this, hey, um, you've heard it said this, but I tell you. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, at one, like the, the general, if you're going to summarize the Sermon on the Mount, you could summarize it down to this is what Christians look like. This is what followers of Jesus look like. And so you might look at um, the command, you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, any man that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Well, what am I supposed to do with that? Like, like how do I understand that? Well, part of it is we look at that and we say, you know what? It's not enough to not cheat on your wife. You shouldn't look at pictures of other women and enjoy that time as well. Like, that's not okay. And most women will agree pretty emphatically that's not okay, right? Like, like that is out of bounds. Um, and Jesus is saying, listen, it's not enough to follow the law. You have to become the kind of person who doesn't do these things. It's not enough to not commit adultery. You've got to become the kind of person who only has eyes for his wife. Um, <clears throat> so as we jump into this Matthew 5, um, you have heard it said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you might be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you, if you, greet, only, if you greet only your own people, uh, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So we're going to back up here. That last part's um, important. But like, uh, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's easy, right? Super easy. I mean, like, why did you even mention that? Um, years ago, I was working with, uh, when I was working at the children's home, I, I got called on a support call. And we'd have these little cottages and like a group of clients that would live there and, and receive mental health treatment. I came walking in, and there was a client there and, like, facing off with a staff person, yelling and cussing and carrying on. And they were obviously targeting this individual with all of their anger. And I walked up, and I looked at the situation, and I said, well, the, the female staff person is, is a little outsized here. And so I stepped between them, and I said, hey, let's take a breath and calm down. And the client looked at me and said, I don't like you, and punched me in the jaw. <laughs> And, you know, we were trained to deal with that. It's not the only time I ever got punched in the jaw. I mean, you know, it was a whole thing. But I'm going to confess, I walked away from that situation angry. Anybody, I mean, like, this is a basic human thing, right? You, I punch any one of you in the jaw, you're going to be mad at me, right? And I walked away from it angry. And I remember going to bed that night angry. I was really angry. And the next day I went to clinical staffing and I sat and I listened to this person's clinical staffing and I... I included my two cents, which was not as positive as maybe it could have been um, because I was angry. And then I heard a rundown of their history and, like, how their anger problems came about. And I sat there, and I felt, like, that tall. And afterwards, I went home, and I spent the, uh, you know, I, like, after my work day, I went home, and I spent the afternoon praying and repenting about it because I figured out, like, man, some people's lives are bad. 
right? And I'm not excusing their behavior. It was not okay to punch me in the face. Um, but that different perspective changed how I dealt with this individual. During my time there, it was the only, not the only time I was ever assaulted. Actually, toward the end, I would come home with new bruises every day. And it was a, it was a fun time to be alive. And I, but I, by that point, I'd been there almost nine, eight years. And I would come home, and I had learned to pray for folks who would do things like this. Not because of the bad things that, that they had gone through, but rather because I discovered that, like, I'm better when I'm that guy. Right? I'm better when I can look at the other guy and not despise them. Um, That's not instant. It's not easy. And in fact, actually, I think it's a product of the Holy Spirit working through little things along the way. Sometimes it took me days to hit the point where I would pray for someone, sometimes longer. Um, And it's just not that easy. Um, Why am I talking about this? Well, because this command to love and this idea that we're going to be patient when we love. Who all is patient with your spouse every day? Who's lying? <laughs> I saw a hand and I figured, yeah, that was a lot. Um, who is kind every day with their spouse, with their kids, with their neighbor? No? Um, for the fact of the matter is that love is sort of contrary to our nature. Um, we're going to jump ahead here to Titus. This is Titus 3, and we're going to be in and out of Titus because it runs parallel to the passage we're looking at um, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities and to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good and to slander no one, to be peace, peaceable and considerate and always be gentle toward everyone. That's all easy to do, right? Here again, um, none of this is easy. And in fact, actually, it's superhuman. Um, if you could manage to do this, you could almost be a superhero, like wear a cape and a mask and everything else. Like It is hard. Um, and it is hard for this reason. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. This is Paul writing to Titus, not my son Titus, but Titus who was a pastor of a church um, um, that Paul had established. (coughs) And what he's talking about, this last little section, there's this recurring theme in Paul's writings where... He talks about how we are by nature sinful, right? Um, we are by nature inclined to break the rules. We are by nature inclined to get angry and hate each other. Um, it is amazing. I watch my lovely children, and I don't know where they learned it, but somehow they figured out that if they don't like how the other one is acting, they can hit them and sometimes get their way. Who taught them that? No one had to. You know, don't point at me, wife. Um, No one had to. I remember the first time my glorious children, each of them, the first time they lied to me. You know who taught them how to lie? No one. They figured it out on their own. Because all of us have this inclination, this core inside of us that is sinful. It is just how we are um, as a result of the fall. And so, like, when you come across someone and you have the opportunity to, like, you know, they wrong you. Your natural inclination is always going to be anger or hatred or bitterness. Um, that is how we are because we are fallen. Um, that is not an excuse. It is an explanation. Everybody with me? By nature, we are fallen. Um, I, I could have actually the, the ones in Sunday school who are doing Romans probably have beaten to death the idea that we are slaves to sin, right? Meaning that sin commands us and directs us and we follow its directions, 
um, willingly sometimes, sometimes unwillingly, but it is how we are. We are fallen. Um, I remember years ago I quit smoking. Anybody here quit smoking ever? And there was this thing inside me that would command me every once in a while, like, hey, you should go and duck out to the garage and have a cigarette real quick. Make sure your wife doesn't catch you because she knows you're trying to quit. You know, or like, hey, I, I should. I mean, it, it controlled how I behaved because I was because I was addicted, because I was a slave to it. Um, this is why obeying Jesus' teaching there, love your enemy and pray, or love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's why it's so doggone impossible. Because by nature, um, we're foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passion and pleasure. Um, it's built into us. Um, and so we should all just give up and live however we want, right? That's right, Abby, no. Um, well, what do we do? Well, we're going to go through some Peter here. And Peter's going to give us some direction. It's only two verses in Peter, super easy. Um, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect exile scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace to you in abundance. So that is our scripture verse for this week. Then we're going to pick it apart. Um, but coming into it, we're going to understand, like, like, what we're going to get out of this is going to answer some of this, right? Like, how do we go from, I'm naturally hating my enemies, and there are people we encounter that we don't like, right? Um, Peter wrote this a little before 54 AD. Peter was cruci- crucified in 54 AD under Nero. Um, Nero actually is, is famous because, um, like, if you read Revelation, that, you know, and the m- number of the beast is 666. In, in the ancient world, um, you would use alphabet and number, right? Like, they were interchangeable. And there's a theory that that three sixes is just Nero's name. Like, the letters associated with Nero's name, like, totaled up. Um, because at the time, Nero was burning Christians to light his banquets at night. Um, he was, he actually, like, like there was a disaster. Rome burned down, and he blamed Christians. And he, he persecuted them heavily. Christians had their possessions, like, repossessed. Um, and, in fact, actually, there's a part of this passage um, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces. Um, that elect exiles... Um, or exile scattered, sorry, I'm kind of sick today. That phrasing implies that these were people of low social standing um, and that they were under persecution, right? Like these were people who had no money, they had no wealth, they had no importance, and they were persecuted and pushed. Um, the, the, the Greek there implies that they were poor, um, that some of them were slaves. Um, and it was, it was not uncommon. In the ancient world, if you were a Jew and you became a Christian, um, they might put you out of the synagogue. If you were put out of the synagogue, nobody in town talked to you anymore, right? No one. Um, you might lose your business. Um, you could sue a Christian in the ancient world for being a Christian, and if they found that you were a Christian, they would just take everything you had and give it to the person who sued you. And so there was like a huge um, incentive to do that kind of thing. So Peter gives us this this opening. And so what we're going to do, we're going to break down this, uh, this verse two. I don't know why it says first Peter one thirty two. Um, there are three, there are three, um, clauses in that sentence, right? Um, 
who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. There are three phrases there, three subordinate clauses. Um, the first one, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What is that? Um, this is uh, Titus. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Um, that's that Titus verse. I'm going to jump in and out of that one, like I said. Um, what's going on here is um, this chosen according to foreknowledge. The idea here is if you let me choose, I'm going to do the wrong thing every time, right? You give me an opportunity to do the wrong thing, I'm going to do it. I have a gift for doing the wrong thing. I have a, a knack for doing the wrong thing. Under pressure, I will generally you know, cave. If given a choice between something that would be fun but sinful and not fun, on my own, I'm going to be inclined to do the sinful thing. Like all of us are that way. And by nature, we hate God. By nature, we rebel against God. Um, and so, like, the only reason I'm able to choose God is that his spirit fills me and makes me able. His spirit beckons me. His spirit nudges me and enables me. Um, because otherwise, I'm going to rebel. Everybody with me still? Most of y'all still awake. Um, <coughs> sorry, I'm kind of... Um, and so, without God's aid, I am unable, on my own, to choose to follow God. Like, not even just to choose, but also, like, I don't deserve it. Right? I don't deserve it. I don't deserve forgiveness. I don't deserve grace. I don't deserve any of that. I, I've been watching, this week I've been watching Netflix uh, documentaries. And there's no such thing as about, like, there's no such thing as a documentary about a happy thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's always, you know, this person ripped off these people, or this person murdered these people, or this person, I mean, it's all bad, right? And the thing that, I, that strikes me is I watch these things, you know, the one I watched last night, the guy had stolen quite a bit, like millions of dollars from people and defrauded all kinds of folks and had a long history of being just this con man. And they're talking to him. He's utterly remorseless. Nothing. Um, but I'm watching this, and I'm watching this guy who has, like, done some pretty evil stuff. I'm, I'm also, like, reviewing my sermon notes, and I'm thinking, Jesus died for that guy. Right? Like this horrible, wicked man, this thief, this con man, this liar, Jesus bled for that guy, right? Jesus poured out everything for that guy. Um, I watched a, a, a thing on, well, I watched the previews. I haven't watched it yet. I'm not sure I'm going to. On uh, Ted Bundy, there's some new documentary about him. Jesus died for that guy. He died for you too, right? Because you deserved it. I don't know, the guy in the, the, the con man in the documentary, he didn't deserve it, right? You know, killers don't deserve it. Um, wicked men don't deserve it. Um, I don't deserve it. Y'all don't deserve it. But Christ died for us because of grace. Because God looks at us and he says, nothing you have done, I'm choosing to come to you. I am choosing to like make this possible on your behalf. Not because you deserve it. Not because you've earned it. Not because you should brag about it. But because I'm merciful. Because God is glorified when he shows mercy. Um, the second clause in First Peter, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. <coughs> My wife and I often joke, um, I'll say, honey, when are you going to trade me in for a younger model? 
And her response is pretty, pretty every time, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to break in another one. Um, because there was a time in my life when I was, when I was awful. Now I'm less awful. And over the years, the Holy Spirit has changed me, right? Over the years, the Holy Spirit has made me more patient, has made me more kind, has made me um, more considerate, has turned me into more of a servant. Am I great at it? No. But I'm better than I was, right? Um, The sanctifying work of the Spirit is a reference to the fact that once the Father has provided opportunity for us to be saved and we are saved, the Holy Spirit fills us up and sanctifies us. He cleans up the mess, and he does it like throughout our lives. We'll live the rest of our lives doing that. Um, I was at the gym yesterday. I'm insane because even when I'm sick, I go to the gym, except this morning because I felt really bad. Um, and I was running on the treadmill. Usually I spend two hours at the gym on Saturday morning. It is my time to enjoy the gym. So I am mentally ill. And I, I got there, and Jeremy was on the elliptical machine, and I cursed him. And my bad knees double cursed him. But I jumped on the treadmill, and I ran for 45 minutes. And I ran just shy of five miles, right? And I get to the end, and at the end of my run, I always sprint. And I, I'm looking at the time, and I'm just dragging, and my heartbeat is, like, through the roof. And I said, I'm not sprinting anywhere. Like, <laughs> and I'm not doing the next hour and ten minutes I normally do. I'm done. I was frustrated, and I was tired, and I felt junky, and I'm dragging and sweating pouring off me. And I hit the stop button. The guy on the treadmill next to me turned to me and said, man, you are intense. And I'm thinking, I just cut my workout less than in half. I dragged my butt on the treadmill. I barely ran. I did this. I did that. I am phoning in this morning. Um, Why do I talk about that? First off, because I love bragging about working out. Secondly... (laughs) What's the point of doing it? Um, No, secondly, and more seriously, we look at the guy next to us and we assume you have it nailed down. You are perfect. And ultimately, the Holy Spirit is working with them. And they might be reaching the point where they're like, I can barely do this. I am phoning it in now. And you look at that guy and you're like, oh, my gosh, you're awesome. And in reality, they're fighting, right? The Holy Spirit sanctifies us forever. You might think the guy next to you is so far along, but at the end of the day, you don't know their heart. You don't know their struggle. You don't know their sin. Um, All of us will struggle. All of us will grow. All of us will deal with this stuff. It is a part of being a follower of God. Um, Titus gives us this. uh, Again, Titus 3. I love this chapter. Um, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appears, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously. This renewal of the Holy Spirit, that line right there, means that I'm very slowly in the process of being made new. Right? When we do baptism, baptism is symbolic of a new birth that we experience. I am made brand new because the Holy Spirit makes me brand new. Um, already but not yet. Right? Um, I am already made holy, but I'm getting there still. So like in eternity, I'm perfect. And now I'm being made new. Um, in heaven, one day I'll stand before God like like. You know, in in this glorified body made to be like Jesus, cleansed of sin and everything else. Right now I'm dragging myself through every day sometimes. I'm 
cranky about things that bother me. I'm not very graceful. I'm not forgiving sometimes. This is the truth of it. And the Holy Spirit gives me new opportunities to learn and grow and become different. And it's only really possible through the Spirit. Why? Because my inclination is to not be that guy, right? My inclination is to say, oh, yeah, you did that? Watch me do ten times worse. It's the line from the untouchables. You know, they, they put one of your guys in the hospital. You put one of their guys in the morgue. It's the natural, like, bent of humanity is to, like, not just an eye for an eye, but an eye for maybe an arm and a leg and a couple of eyes, right? Um, Our sinful nature drags us in that direction, but the Spirit drags us in the direction of becoming like Christ, this loving new creation. And so when we talk about being loving and being Christ-like and having this heart that's like Jesus and, and being like this 1 Corinthians 13 and loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, Loving your neighbors yourself, it's all rooted in this idea that the Spirit is in us. Um, Galatians, everybody knows this Galatians 5 passage, I'm going to read it anyway. (laughs) You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself, if you bite and devour each other. Watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not, excuse me, so you are not to do whatever you want. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this are not will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is this. The fruit, by the way, the fruit of the Spirit. This is something that grows out of having the Spirit in you. Love, joy. Most of you all could do this with me, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such thing there are, is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. What do we do with that? The Holy Spirit makes this possible, right? The Holy Spirit makes all of it possible. You walk in the Spirit, you become sanctified. You walk in the Spirit, you learn to love your neighbors yourself. You walk in the flesh and indulge that, you're going to hate folks. You're going to be bitter. You're going to be angry. You're going to rage. You're going to be impatient. You're going to show favorites. You're going to be jealous. Like the whole nine yards, it all grows out of the flesh. Um, It is part of becoming holy, becoming sanctified, that we learn to live in the Spirit and walk in the Spirit. And like only possible in Him, but we also have to do it every day, right? I am amazed that when I stop trying, how quickly I fall into bad habits and bad behaviors and bad patterns and my heart gets hard. Um, it's an everyday thing. <coughs> i got to tighten up here. I'm going to run out of voice. Um, all right, last clause here. Um, so, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient, or through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, third clause, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Um, Titus gives us, but when the kindness, I keep going into the same verse, right? Um, 
When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Meaning, we're only fit for this because Christ washes us. Does that make sense? We're only acceptable in this way because Jesus died for us. Because that wicked man that I am, like Christ poured his blood out and like, like I'm washed by it. Um, what is it Isaiah says? Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as the snow. Um, the Holy Spirit will fill us and the Holy Spirit becomes like, like, like in, in residence inside of us because... Because Christ's blood was poured out. Um, the Old Testament is full of allusions to this, by the way. Um, there's a great line in, in Hebrews where it talks about Moses covering the door, um, the door jam on, on Passover, and how, like, those who were covered by the blood of the lamb that they sacrificed were saved from the angel of death. Like, like we are saved from death. We're saved from judgment. We're saved from this, this thing we have coming because of our sinful nature, because of our flesh, because Christ died for us. Not because we're good, not because we're awesome, not because we deserve it, but because Christ died for us. This is a trustworthy saying, back to Titus. And I want you, and I want to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent, excellent and profitable for everyone. Um, what Titus is giving us is saying, listen, all of this stuff I've told you, um, it's trustworthy, it is true, um, and we're stressing these things um, because those who have trusted God should devote themselves to doing what is good. Um, what does this mean? And actually, here's my application, okay? There's a great line from C.S. Lewis, and I've used this like eight times this week now, so some of y'all have heard me say it. There's this great line from C.S. Lewis. It's in The Way to Glory. He's talking about World War II. There was this huge movement in England where people were saying, we should not go off and fight because that's contrary to the scriptures. And so they advocated just letting Germany conquer and, like, like you know, trusting God to deliver them. And Lewis wrote in opposition to that, and he makes an interesting point. He was not making a judgment about fighting World War II. I think it was probably a good thing. But, you know, like, like what Lewis said was, Soldiers don't go off and fight war because they hate the enemy, right? Soldiers go off and fight because they love the things that are behind them and they love the things that they're fighting for. Um, it is the case that there are people out there who are not lovable, right? There are men who abuse women. That is not a lovable trait. There are people who victimize children. That's not lovable. There are people who neglect. There are people who steal. There are people who fill their pockets like dishonestly at the expense of other folks. There are people who live high so that, because other people live poor, right? Like there are wicked men in this world. There are wicked women in this world. We are all wicked, and like, and some of us have opportunity. And it's really hard to look at somebody who abuses folks or is is wicked like that and say, "Oh, I love that guy." But at the end of the day, when I look at folks like that, I used to work with. We had a program at Basher for uh, sex offenders. And I'm telling you, it's sometimes really hard to hear about something awful somebody did and then, like, preach the gospel to them. Like, it just is. Um, I, I remember preaching the gospel to this guy who was a gang member, and he had told me about 
um, pistol whipping a woman before he like robbed the house that she was staying in. And then I told him about Jesus. I, I'm going to confess inside me. I don't want to tell him about Jesus. I wanted to tell him about what he had coming. Um, how do you love someone like that? What I love at the end of the day, I love Jesus. I love that Christ died for me. I love that Jesus is glorified when sinners repent. I love that I didn't deserve to be forgiven, and neither do they. These are the things I love. And so I'll preach the gospel to folks who are unlovable, and I'll figure out how to pray for them, even though they're unlovable. Not because I necessarily feel loving toward them, but because I love what's behind me, right? Um, I've been reading this last month or so about the church in China, um, which if you don't pray for the church in China, you should. Um, they're under tremendous persecution. People are disappearing like church leaders. Churches are being shut down and burned. Um, they're under very heavy like opposition. And it's hard to look and say, well, we should pray for these evil people who are doing this. But you know what? Like, we should pray for them because Christ is glorified when sinners repent. Because it's by the grace of God you're not the one persecuting. Right? I'm sometimes, like, I used to think back, I think back frequently to some of the stuff I did as a, when I was in the flesh and when I was lost. And I think, man, I don't know what I could have done if I had just had the opportunity to be as evil as I could have been, right? Fortunately, God stopped me over and over again in spots. Um, but who knows? Like, God saved me, and God saves others. And, like, the reason we love folks, first off, is the Spirit makes it possible. But secondly, because we recognize that this process through which God is glorified, this foreknowledge, this sanctification, this pouring out of Christ's blood, um, this is something that, this is something that's amazing, right? And it's something we should love. And loving that makes it possible. The Holy Spirit in us makes it possible. Um, us being made brand new every day makes it possible. Um, I've lived a life where I have dwelt on my bitterness and my anger, and it killed me spiritually. Um, I'm blessed that God has given me a different life. My challenge for you guys is to ask you um, this week, look at it and say, who do I hate? Where am I struggling in this? Where is my heart hard? How do I make this right? How do I fill myself with the Spirit? Does that mean I should ignore sin? Absolutely not. Because actually, if you look at Jesus, he never ignored sin. He called it out like in no uncertain and very unpleasant terms, even his best friends sometimes, right? Um, because Christ loved God's holiness. He loved God's glory. He loved the salvation that was coming. And he hated the things that were in opposition. We don't turn a blind eye to wickedness. We pray for the wicked and we love Christ. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, <coughs> I pray that you'd be with us this morning. I pray that you would help us to be filled with your spirit. Lord, help us to be brand new creations. Um, just over and over again, Lord, I pray that you would bring us to a place where we would look to you and our hearts would be filled with your spirit. Our hearts would be filled with, with you know, love for what glorifies you, love for our neighbor, even when they don't deserve to be loved, love for our enemies. Lord, because we know that you died for them. Love for the wicked, because we know that you can redeem them. Um, help us, Lord, to remember over and over again that we were once that wicked man. In Jesus' name, amen.